Um, let me just explain what's going to happen this morning. There's no junior church this morning, so everybody's in together because normally um, quite a lot of people leave us for junior church. So everybody's going to be staying in together this morning. And we're going to be talking and thinking about telling stories. As I said last Sunday, that's not about telling stories on other people. Um, it's about stories that um, we like or that we listen to or whatever. Um, and one of the things we're going to do this morning is to read one of the stories out of the Bible. Uh, I get to pick my favourite, which I suppose is a bit of a privilege for me. Uh, and I'd like you to turn to it as I read it to you. You'll find it in John chapter 9. And if you're looking, I'm going to use one of the uh, Bibles that's in the pew. You'll find the reading on page 1075, page 1075. And a little later on, I want to make a short reference to this passage. John chapter 9. Now, we're going natural today. We have no artificial lights on. If you're struggling to see, just indicate to Mervyn at the back and he can rush out and put the lights on. Um, But I think there should be enough light for everybody. So, John chapter 9, page 1075. This is a story about Jesus. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home saying, His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, Yes, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, Well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he, had been, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now he can see? Well, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. 
His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, well whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And that's John chapter 9. Well, before we do anything else, Roy McMullen is going to come and lead us in some prayers. Roy, thanks. This morning as we come to our time of prayer, we want to think about Jim and Carol Bittner. Carol's father died in the week. Jim and Carol have returned to America and the funeral service will be on Tuesday. We want to think also about Alistair Baxter who is recovering from bypass surgery. And we're glad to see Yako here this morning after his recent surgery also. And then we want to think about the situation in Lebanon and pray especially for our friend Leonard Campbell. Leonard is speaking this morning in Clontibbert. I've heard of Clontibbert, but I haven't a clue this morning. And I asked someone else, I'll not say who, where Clontibbert was, and they weren't able to tell me, so I'm nothing the wiser. But let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the privilege that is ours as we come to you this morning. Thank you for the throne of grace. Thank you for the access that we have to it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love and your care for us. And it is in that confidence that we draw near and commit to you our friends Carol and Jim at this time of bereavement.
Thank you for what Carol's father meant to the family, for your grace in his life and the godly example he was to the family and the influence that he had on them. For him all suffering, illness and weakness are past and he is with Christ, which is very far better. We commend Carol and Jim to you. We think of Carol's mum also and the rest of the family circle and we leave them in your care and keeping. May your love surround them, your everlasting arms support them and your peace which passes all understanding keep their hearts and minds at this time of loss and especially at the funeral service on Tuesday. We pray for our brother Alistair. Thank you that he's able to be home following his surgery. And we praise you for the progress that he has made thus far. Continue your hand upon him for good, so that we may truly say, the Lord has done great things for him. We're off, we're glad. Similarly, we pray for Yaku this morning. Thank you for your goodness to him and for the fact that he's able to be with us today. Grant to him a complete recovery, so that he will be able to pursue the course that he believes you have for him. Let your blessing be upon him day by day. Father, we want to pray especially about the situation in Lebanon. We pray for an immediate cessation of the hostilities that a just and lasting peace will come to that country. We pray that the international diplomatic efforts will bear fruit. We pray for the fearful Lebanese people who are struggling with the practical consequences of the conflict in that they face a lack of fuel, of water, of power and food, and for many, the loss of their homes. We pray for the Christian believers in Lebanon. May they know and testify to the peace of God as their minds are steadfastly trusting in you. We pray also for the witness of local churches as they welcome people on the move and seek to meet their needs. We pray for those who have been working in Lebanon, but today are at home or were elsewhere when this trouble started. Their thoughts must be apprehensive concerning their team members, their friends and the churches in Lebanon and wondering how they are. We think especially of Leonard at this time. Be with him, strengthen him and guide him concerning the future. We pray for Peter, for Nigel and Mike, three workers with Miko who are stranded in the evangelical school in Tyre. Keep them safe in that terrible situation. We pray too for their wives and children who are all in safer places elsewhere, but no doubt worrying about these three. 
we ask these our prayers in our Saviour's name and for his sake and glory. Amen. Thank you, Roy. Well, in this series that we're looking at, the general theme of which is being human. One of the things we talked about last week was that being human means that we tell stories. We're, we love telling stories. And that's what I want us to think a bit about this morning and the story of one book in particular and to encourage you to go and to read it. And we tell stories in all kinds of different ways. What are some of the ways in which we tell stories? Any suggestions? How do we tell stories? Hmm? You don't have to be in junior church to answer these questions. You can be a bit bigger. Any ideas? Sorry? Books, that's one way. How else do we tell stories? Yes, Emily? By talking, that's right. We tell stories. Good girl. How else? Yes, Ben? We can do it by letters, yes. We can tell stories that way. What other ways can we tell stories? What about films? We tell stories in films, don't we? What other ways do we tell stories? Yeah? Series and tapes, yes. CDs and tapes, we can do it that way. What other ways? Drama, yeah. Pictures, yes. Poems, sometimes. There are all kinds of ways in which we can tell stories. And we can tell all kinds of different stories. Using the same way, sometimes we can tell stories that are funny. And we can do that in lots of ways. We can tell stories that are sad. We can tell tell stories that are true, um, that are facts. We can tell stories that are fiction or tales. Uh, We can tell stories that have a reason and a purpose because we want to communicate something. We want somebody to understand something. There's lots of ways and lots of reasons why we can tell stories. Well, last week, before we left here, I had asked people that if they had stories or favourite stories, that they would maybe bring them with them and they could tell us a wee bit about them, not to come and tell the stories because that would all get out of hand, I'm sure. But a few people, even before they left, had told me a few stories. I'll tell you them and then if anybody has brought one with them, they can tell me what their story was. There was one person who was visiting here last Sunday. He was sitting at the back and he was obviously thinking about this and he said on the way out, I'll tell you a true story. This is a true story about him and he went for a job interview in England with a company that makes models, model aeroplanes, model boats, a company called Airfix. This was many, many years ago. And um, he went for an interview with, uh, for a job with this company called Airfix. And in the middle of the interview, and there were lots of people asking him questions, one of the questions that was asked was, what do you think of the Reverend Dr. Ian Paisley? <laughs> And he said he was completely confused. He thought the job was to sell Airfix models and he couldn't for the life of him work out why he was being asked this question and he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what sort of answer to give and quick as a flash he said, why, is he in for this job too? Jim Smith was telling me about one of his favourite stories, of which there are several versions I hasten to point out, um, about a man called Jimmy Dalzell and the Diagonal Steam Trap. How many of you know the story of Jimmy Dalzell and Diagonal Steam Trap? Not all that many of you. Maybe I should get the expurgated version and read it to you some Sunday. It's a very funny story. My dad worked in the shipyard, and therefore it's the kind of story that I understand. 
It's a story about a man called Jimmy Dalzell. And there was a big boat that the shipyard had made, and it was going to Turkey. And when they had the boat built and the engines all ready, they fired up the engines and they wouldn't go. They wouldn't start. And everybody was scratching their heads and looking around to see what was wrong with the engine. And Jimmy Dalzell dandered up, as they do in the shipyard, or used to do, dandered up and had a wee look. And Jimmy says, I know the problem. You forgot the diagonal sting trap. And when Jimmy had said that, the engineer who built the engine and the men who were trying to fix it all scratched their heads and they didn't want to look stupid. They didn't want to say, what's a diagonal steam trap? Because they had built the engine. They should have known everything that was needed. So Jimmy dandered off and put his board in, which is his way of going home. And they ran after him and they said, Jimmy, you couldn't help us out. You couldn't knock up a diagonal steam trap for us. We're very busy at the minute. And Jimmy went home and he knocked up a diagonal steam trap, which was a little box with a gauge on it and a few pipes coming out of it. And he took it back in the morning and he set it on the engine and he said, when that's reading zero, it's working. And what he also did was he quickly pulled the rag out of the fuel line, which he had noticed the day before, was blocking the fuel, which was why the engine wouldn't start. And of course, everybody thought it was the diagonal steam trap. And Harlan and Wolfs told the Turkish uh, merchant ships not to tell anybody about the diagonal steam trap because they didn't want it out that they'd put a diagonal steam trap on an engine. But they did, and the Russians found out. And Mr. Kosygin, because this is the period whenever it was told, started a big factory making thousands and thousands of diagonal steam traps. And Mr. Nixon got to hear about it, the President of the United States. And when he heard about it, he went harpic, as it says in the poem, and he phoned Jimmy Dalzell. And Jimmy was told he had a call from the White House. And Jimmy said, that's a big shop up in Port Rush. <laughs> but now they have a big factory in Seattle and they're pumping out 25,000 diagonal steam traps a day because nobody wants to lose face. It's a great story. Now the difference in those two stories is that the first one is actually true. It happened to somebody who happened to be sitting here in church last Sunday at an interview they did 30 years ago. The second story isn't true. I'm afraid to say, much as we would all like it to be true. Um, somebody else gave me a story yesterday, or last Sunday, and it was a story about a person, a man called Raymond, who grew up in Belfast. And Raymond became very involved with the paramilitaries. And he became involved in making bombs and in robberies and uh, various shootings. And he was arrested when he was going out to do one of these things one day. And when he was arrested, he was put into a cell in Castlereagh, which is where they took everybody in those days. And um, when he was in his cell in Castlereagh on his own, he became a Christian. And the story that I was given is the story of Raymond's life and what has happened to him since and the way in which he confessed to all the things he'd been involved in and his whole life and the whole direction of his life has now changed completely. And that's a true story and a very interesting true story. So there are lots of stories. I remember once being in Africa with Hannah and Jonathan and their mum and dad in Niger when they worked in West Africa. And Nigel and myself and a couple of others had gone up into the desert uh, to visit some people, some people called Fulanis. And we were being looked after there and we were invited to the home of one of the main people of the village and he made us a meal. And it turned out as we were having the meal that one of the things you had to do in the evening was to tell a story, particularly if you were a visitor or a guest. And Nigel said, so you'd better have a story to tell. Well, I don't speak Fulani, and I don't speak Hausa, and I don't speak French, 
and they were my best bets and I had no story to tell so I thought about it and I told the story of how Christianity came to Ireland with St. Patrick because these people had only discovered Christianity in recent years so Nigel translated the, my English into French and uh, the guy who was with it translated the French into Fulani so quite what the Fulani people heard about St. Patrick I'm not entirely sure but what was really interesting was telling the story actually made so much sense to these people because they were going through their experience it happened here back in what the 7th, 6th century in Ireland for them it was happening in the 20th century they had sand all around them we had water all around us but otherwise there was a lot in the story that they could understand and relate to it was very interesting so we love telling, telling stories did anybody bring a story with them? Did anybody want to tell me what their favourite story is? Ben, you've got a story with you, have you? What's your story? Hold on, would I come down? The slob. The slob. Ah. Wow, that's a very interesting book. I've never seen one of those before. Can we have a look at that afterwards? Yeah. Can we? And what did you bring? Did you bring a book with you? The Pegasus. The what? Barbie Magic of Pegasus. Oh. I know somebody sitting over there on that side who's really into Barbie. Well, she used to be. I'll introduce you to her later on. Her name's Sarah. Anybody else bring a book or a story? Hmm? Did anybody else? Jim, what did you bring? Life is a Journey by uh, Pastor Hugh Charles Luckham. Oh yes, that's the story of his life. Yeah, he's a great man. Yeah. Anybody else bring a story? Anybody else got a story with them? Huh? Ah, Chris brought one. Good on you, Chris. I knew you would. What have you brought? I have a children's book called Holes by Louis Sachar, and it's about a boy who is wrongly convicted of a crime and sent to a juvenile detention camp and then becomes best friends with the boy who actually committed the crime and about their story of surviving the camp and escaping together. Oh, wow. Why has it got a lizard on the front? Is there any connection? Yeah, because the, they have to dig holes in the ground and the holes sometimes fill up with deadly lizards which kill you when they bite you. Oh, wow. That's your kind of story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Anybody else got a story with them? Anybody else bring one? Hmm? Yep. Oh, there's Alison. Good on you. See, it's great when people take you literally. Yeah. Uh, I brought a book called I Am David. <laughs> no, 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 I don't, I don't really think it's a significant book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this is one of my favourite books whenever I was growing up. It's about a, a boy who's actually in some sort of concentration camp, but you never know, you're never sure where, and he basically escapes. And it's really about his life, trying to sort of find his parents and just uh, sort of, uh, he's never really experienced anything outside the camp, and it's just really what life is like for him outside and just sort of all the changes. So. Wow, excellent. Excellent. So you can have a look at all of these afterwards. Anybody else? Anybody else bring a book or story that you wanted to share? I did. But I get to choose lots of
But I brought one that was possibly the most favourite story in our house when we were tiny. Oh, sorry, when our children were tiny. I've always been a big person. Um, and I'm going to... I'll read you it. It'll not take very long. Do you mind if I read you the story? Okay, good. It's called Henry's Sunbathe. Okay? And this was Sarah's favourite story. Now, I didn't know, Sarah, that I was going to be doing this just because you were here this Sunday. It's no connection at all. All right? So I'll try... I'll, I mean, that's just not to draw attention to Sarah or embarrass her in any way. Um, but I'll sort of read the bits the way they were read because Sarah sort of altered the story as we went along. It's a fine summer's day and Henry wants to sunbathe. Henry lies on his back and closes his eyes. He feels the sun on his face and his cheeks begin to glow. Henry's ears start to tingle. So do his arms and his legs. Henry turns over onto his front. His back is getting warm. The sun shines brightly on the back of Henry's arms and legs. He sits up and looks at himself. I'm rather pink, I think, he mutters. I didn't forget anywhere, did I? says Henry, trying hard to remember. Oh yes, <laughs> under my trunk, he says. That's the tricky part. Or as it was in our house, that's the party trick. Now I'm done, Henry says. Tomorrow I'll go brown. Brown face, brown body, brown back, brown arms and legs, brown trunk, brown ears, brown behind the ears. Drat, screams Henry. I forgot behind my ears. And that's the story of Henry Sunday. <laughs> stories are great. I mean, stories just help you communicate with people. They help change a set, a set of circumstances. They just open up windows for us. Um, they do all kinds of things. They inspire us. They make us sad. Um, they give us insights. Stories are just amazing. And this morning... I want us to think about the Bible as a story. We've already said this morning that some stories are true and some aren't true. Some are fact, some are fiction. We have talked about how stories have all kinds of different functions. I mean, sometimes, for example, the Bible uses stories that aren't true. Does anybody think of what they might be? Yep. Parables. Absolutely. Now, Roy, who was leading the prayers this morning, and I were in Israel together one time, he was showing me some of the important parts of Israel and we went on a tour and part of that tour they stopped off and they showed us the road on which the good Samaritan uh, was traveling they showed us the place where the man was beaten up they showed us the house where he, he stayed no no well they did it may be a parable it may be a story that Jesus told, but if you go on some of the tours of uh, the Holy Land, you'll find that it's not just a story Jesus told. It's a money spinner. 
and everywhere exists. Yes, sometimes Jesus told stories. That's exactly right. Parables. Uh, which weren't necessarily true, because that wasn't the point. The point was to try and teach us something. But otherwise, the Bible is full of true stories. Like the story of Raymond that I was talking about earlier, who became a Christian in prison. Just stories about the lives of people and how they were used by God. Now this book I brought with me. This isn't, I didn't bring this because this is my favourite book to read. This is called a theology book. This is systematic theology. It's very small print. Be quite hard to read without good glasses. It's oh well over a thousand pages long, and it's very helpful. And it's got lots of information in it about what we believe about God and what God has said and how we should live. But you know, one of the things I'm very glad about is that when God speaks to us, it's not simply in books like this. In fact, that's not the way He chose to do it. It's in books like this which is full of stories. Oops, I lifted the wrong one there. Full of stories. Stories about people. Stories about the way in which God was at work in their lives. Stories about the way in which they responded to what God was doing. The Bible also has lots of information. It has lots of facts. It has lots of uh, ideas and commands and instructions. But lots and lots and lots of stories. God didn't give us a maths book. I don't know whether you do maths in school still these days. But I always found maths books really boring. Or chemistry books, or physics books, or some of those things. Because there was no stories, and the pictures didn't make any sense. But the Bible isn't like that, because the Bible is full of good stories. And you can easily imagine people, and imagine the situations. So there are three things I want to say this morning, and to leave with you, to think about in regard to the Bible. The first one is this. You should read the Bible as one story. Now, this is all one book, but inside it there are a whole lot of books. Does anybody know how many books make up the Bible? Hmm? Anybody know? 66. Thank you, Helen. There are 66 different books that all go to make up the Bible. Now, sometimes people go into a bit of the Bible and they read it and they think, this just doesn't make any sense. Or, this is really very difficult to understand. Or, this seems a bit dreadful. This is all about wars and killings and all kinds of strange things. Or, this is about miracles, things that I can't really believe could have happened. And you, people sometimes can read a wee bit of the Bible, and in reading a wee bit of the Bible, feel, this is really very difficult. This doesn't make very much sense. Sometimes people read a book of the Bible and think, well, I like that book, but I don't really like others. I maybe like the Psalms, I like the poetry in the Psalms, but I get bored with the history. Or maybe I like the history, but I don't like all those letters that Paul wrote. But it's really important for us to see and to understand how all of the 66 books that make up the Bible belong together and really form one story for us about God and what God would say to us. I know there were lots of different people who wrote the individual books. In fact, we don't even know the names of some of the people who wrote the individual books. But there's a clear story that runs right through the whole of the Bible from the beginning to the end. It begins speaking about how God created everything, and it ends by talking about how God will recreate everything. It begins with people living in a good relationship with God and then talks about how that went wrong. And it ends with people living in a good relationship with God and talks about how that comes about. It tells us what's wrong with our relationship with God. It tells us how it was put right through Jesus Christ. 
And it teaches us through the stories of other people's lives, as well as in letters and books of instruction, how we should live if we are to be in a right relationship with God. So one of the things you need to realize and to think about in regard to the Bible is to treat it as one whole story. And all of us need to think about doing that because the temptation is just to dip in here and there and other places and lose the sense of progression and movement that comes right from Genesis through to Revelation. And watch how the whole thing hangs together. The second thing I want to say about it is this, that God speaks to us in the stories of the Bible. One of my favorite stories is the story that we read at the very beginning of the service, John chapter 9. You might like to turn back to that story again. It was on page 1075, page 1075. Now, there are lots of reasons why I like this story. I like this story because there's humor in it. I think John must have liked this story because he takes more time over telling this story than any other story in his gospel. And it is a bit humorous at times, a bit funny, like when they invite the parents in and say, is this your son? And was he really blind? Because everybody's a bit afraid that this fellow is having them on, as we would say. That he never really was blind, that his parents sent them out to beg instead of having to work, and that he was really just pretending to be blind to make money easily. So everybody's a bit confused about what's going on here and why it's going on. And one of the things I like about that is just the humor in the story. And yet it's a very difficult story in some ways. But the way in which the man speaks to the Pharisees, you know, why? Do you want to become his disciples too? Is that why you keep asking me all these questions? So I like it because it's hum- it, there's humor in it. I like it because it's about real people. You can just imagine something like this happening. If it hasn't already happened to you, the way in which people maybe don't quite believe something and they ask other people and you can understand the situation for his parents, you know, who are in danger here of getting into trouble and who do the thing about, well, he's old enough, you ask him, he can speak for himself. Don't land it all on us. It's a very real human story. I like it because it's a wee bit shocking in some ways. The idea of Jesus spitting on the ground enough spit to make mud and then putting it on the person's eyes. That, now, don't try that at home, because I think if you're caught spitting on the ground making mud and putting it in somebody's eyes, you might get into trouble. But it interests me, just the details that are in here, and what was that all about, and what was being symbolized by that process. It's an interesting little detail in the whole story. That is one of the reasons why I like it. I like it because it deals with other big questions as well. For example, at the very beginning, It's got nothing to do with the man in a sense. It's Jesus and his disciples. Look at what it says in the first two verses. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And immediately we get a sense of how people used to think in those days. Because if there was something wrong with you, the only reason there was something wrong with you was because you'd done something bad. And you were being punished. And that's how people tended to think. And immediately Jesus is dealing with a very important issue. And helping us understand that sometimes... People are ill for all kinds of reasons. And things happen for all kinds of reasons. And you can't simply draw a straight line. And that's a very helpful lesson to learn right at the very beginning. And then we see Jesus working with this person. And Jesus is teaching in the whole of this incident. And John is reminding us in the whole of this incident that Jesus is the light of the world. Now John could simply have said that. He could have written a very deep book about that, full of 
technical information about the Old Testament and all the rest, about how Jesus is the light of the world, but he doesn't. He helps us see it in a story, a true story, of something that happened to a man who was blind and how he could see, and how it is that people who think they can see but who don't have any confidence or trust in Jesus really don't get the picture. And that's essentially what John is saying to us here. I like it because it lets us see some of the problems that were caused by Jesus. Not deliberately, but just because he was there, because of the things he did, because of the claims about himself. And I like that because it opens it up honestly. Here was a really difficult situation. Not everybody in this story who didn't believe in Jesus was a bad person being deliberately awkward. They just didn't believe. They couldn't make sense of this. They thought obeying the Sabbath was far more important than actually making somebody better. They drew the lines according to different rules. And we can see in this story the way in which Jesus constantly challenges those things and the difficulty that that is for people. And that's still true today. And we see in this story, which is another reason why I like it, how difficult it is sometimes for people who decide to follow Jesus. Because this man wasn't going to be terribly popular because of what was happening. But he was absolutely determined to follow Jesus nonetheless. So I like this story a lot because it's got all of those things in it. Everything from humor to helping us get a grip, an understanding of who Jesus is and just how important he is and how big a change he can make in people's lives and how big an issue it is about understanding that Jesus is the light of the world, which is the whole message of the Bible. So that's one of the reasons why I like this story. God can speak to us in the stories of the Bible. He can help us see ourselves and our sin and our lives and our futures and our hope a lot more clearly. Whether it's the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Moses, whether it's the stories of David and Solomon and all the great kings and the mistakes that they made as well as the good things that they did, whether it's the stories of Jesus with his disciples, these are all to teach us and to give us an understanding of how God would deal with us what his expectation of us is, what his mercy and what his grace is like, and what he calls us to do. Which takes me to the third thing I want to say, which is simply that the main part of the whole story is Jesus. Right from the very beginning, when things went wrong, God made a promise that something special would be happening to put right the dreadful mess we had made and keep our relationship with God, or bring our relationship with God, into a better place. That's something very special was Jesus. And one of the reasons why you need to read the whole of the Bible is that because to simply read the Gospels and read about Jesus without understanding where he came from as a Jewish person and all his tradition and heritage and what the Old Testament is about, it makes it very hard to actually understand the full significance of who Jesus is and why he came. And I appreciate that sometimes people prefer the Gospels to the Old Testament or prefer the Gospels to the, the letters of Paul. But without both sides of that, you don't understand, you don't get the full picture of who Jesus is and why he came and the significance of his death on the cross. And you don't get a full application of what that means for your life and mine and for the world in general in the, in the days in which we live. The fact that it focuses so much on Jesus is reflected in the way in which we tell some of the stories. We have a special time of the year when we tell part of the story of Jesus. Anybody know what that special time of the year is? Well, we have two special times of the year at least. Anybody know what that would be? What's one of them? Yeah? Christmas. Absolutely right. And what's the other one? Easter. 
Christmas and Easter, for example, are two times when we are telling the story of Jesus, how he came and why he died and his resurrection. In this church, every Sunday, in the morning or in the evening, and you may or may not be in here, depending on whether you're a junior church, we tell the story of the significance of Jesus' death. How do we do that? Do we know how we do that? How do we tell the story every Sunday of the significance of Jesus' death on the cross? Hmm? Anybody know? Anybody want to help? In communion. When we take bread and we take wine and we tell in a very practical way the story of the death of Jesus. It's so central to everything that we are and everything that we believe as Christians. So this morning when we're thinking about stories and how big an impact stories have on us, I want to leave you this morning with the challenge of making sure that you try to get to grips with the story of this book and that you do these three things. You think about reading the Bible as one story, not just as a collection of different things and not just bits and pieces of it, but actually as one complete story, which is telling us who we are, what our relationship with God is like, why Christ came, and what the future holds. Not on the details, the fine details of what next year holds or whatever, but God's purposes for creation and for mankind. That you read this, and you read this expecting to learn from it, and learn from the stories that are there about other people's lives because that's how God communicates with us that's how God teaches us and has chosen to do in this situation calling people and inviting them to come and to be part of his purposes and watching them do things that are great and watching them sometimes do things that are terrible but all of that we learn from what God's purposes are for us and to remember that as you work your way through the whole thing and learn those lessons that the main focus of the Bible's message is Jesus who he is why he came, why he died, why he was raised from the dead, and why he matters. Now, my challenge to you this morning is simply this. If you're one of the younger people who goes to junior church, you might find the Bible very difficult. I can understand that. But there are lots of versions that you can use sometimes which will help you understand the words, and you've got grown-ups who I'm sure would be prepared to help you. So don't be afraid to read lots of the Bible. That's what I would say to you. And to those of you who are older and have maybe read it all before, my challenge would be, are you still reading it? Are you still reading it with the same sense of purpose, the same sense of anticipation, the same sense of adventure, to discover what it's saying and to discover what God is saying? And my final challenge to everybody, whether you're young or older, is this. Do we tell the stories of the Bible? I love Henry's sunbathe. We lost the book and somebody managed about a year ago, I think, or a few months ago, to find it for us on the internet. Oh, how happy we were to get Henry's sunbathe back. It's a great story. And it's great to be able to tell you all about it this morning. But what about all those stories of Scripture? The lives of people, of the purposes of God, of what God is doing. The stories that are told in Psalms and songs. The stories that are told in tragedies. The stories that are told in gladness and joy. They're for telling. They're for taking and telling to others so that others get a a grasp of what the message of the Bible is all about. And so this morning I thought when we would bring this to a close, we would sing a song which we haven't sung in here I think for a long time. 
Some of us used to sing it in Sunday school, um, and it's this story. Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Now you need to think about the words, because some of the words are maybe slightly different to the words we would use in songs today. But it's really a song about understanding and appreciating and enjoying the story of Jesus. Not just the facts of what he did and when he did it, but the meaning, the purpose, and the whole